Let us get into the word. We're in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true, given to us in love for our good. Genesis 3 is a key chapter in the Word. The rest of the Bible cannot be understood properly apart from it. And it provides a valuable record in a vital period in the history of man. There was a way that things were before it and a way that things were after it. If we were to go from Genesis 2 to Genesis chapter 4 and skip Genesis 3, we would see something bad happened that has entirely changed the narrative. It only takes reading one chapter ahead in chapter 4 to realize something has gone horribly wrong. Something changed in man's nature, all of which can be traced back to the events that we read here. Without this chapter, an explanation for all that sin does, all that it causes, and why we need a Savior can only be understood in light of Genesis chapter 3. Here we get an explanation for the entrance of sin into the world and a peak as to its origin. The very purpose of Christ's coming would be meaningless apart from this chapter. 
So brothers, we will examine this passage under three headings this morning. First, the appeal of sin. Second, the act of sin. Third, the effect of sin. This leads us to our first heading. The appeal of sin, verses 1 to 5. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here, Satan reveals his hand and we see the agency through which sin is facilitated. His methods have not changed since day one. First, he questions what God has said. Then he twists what God has said. And finally, he makes an appeal to selfish desires. He questions what God says. Notice with me in verse 1 how Satan approaches Eve. He doesn't come as a radical making wild allegations about God, but he comes very subtly so as not to cause alarm. He comes to her as if he's her friend advocate and he comes questioning what God has said reducing him their all-loving all-caring creator down to a mere caricature of a fuddy-duddy he's not actually their champion benefactor and friend but he's really a killjoy seeking to delude them from living to their fullness now of course in the preceding chapter God had commanded Adam not to eat And as Adam was given dominion over all, he was to relay this command to Eve as well. It was the only prohibition placed upon them by the Lord. So it's not like there was a laundry list of prohibitions. There was only one. Not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But that single prohibition is where Satan strikes to weaken it. Sowing seeds of doubt and to awaken a mistrust of the Lord. Second, he twists what God has said. Next, we see the serpent go from questioning God to purposely misrepresenting what it is that God had actually said. The Lord never forbids them from eating of any tree. Just the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But here we also read where Eve goes beyond that which the Lord has said. The Lord never said that they couldn't touch it. He said that they could not eat of it. Eve had an inexact knowledge of what God had actually said, and Satan uses that to manipulate her. Third, the big lie. The serpent, having been too long entertained by Eve, then goes on to make an assertion to Eve that God has deceived them both. There is a wisdom and a knowledge that the Lord was trying to keep from them. 
And they can access this by disregarding God's command. Effectively, they can disobey the word that God had spoken and nothing bad would happen. But on the contrary, good things would happen. The serpent posited himself as their true friend, advocate, and that the Lord was really holding them back. Though God had provided everything for them, there was a greater fulfillment beyond that which the Lord had provided. And the Lord was withholding that from them. Now, what exactly was it about this tree that made it so special? First, I don't believe that there was absolutely anything special about the tree. God had forbidden them to eat from. It was just a normal tree in the garden with the exception of its prohibition. The issue was not about the tree. The issue was obedience. Adam was in a probationary period where had his obedience been proven, he and Eve would have been completely free to eat of the tree. Second, the title given to it of knowledge of good and evil does not mean that it had special power like the snake said it did. The tree itself had no power at all. It was what the tree represented. As such, I believe the term knowledge of good and evil can be used in two senses, or rather understood in two senses. First, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a matter of knowledge through observation or knowledge through participation. That is, Adam and Eve could have only known evil through observation. For example, we can know the destruction that adultery can cause either by committing it or seeing it in the lives of those who have committed. But I think a greater understanding of what the knowledge in good and evil meant was absolute moral autonomy. The ability for the creature to define good and evil as opposed to God having defined good and evil to them. It was a godlike ability. The appeal was to be like God, wise in all things. And the serpent made the appeal to Eve that she could assert her own moral autonomy by disobeying the Lord and eating of the tree, as opposed to being in submission to God's word and trusting in it to make them wise. The appeal to Eve was that she did not need God to define what was evil and what was good, or what was right or what was wrong, that she could be her own God and define it for herself. Friends, once creatures buy the lie that we can be our own moral authority, then we have truly denied the creature-creator distinction, denying both the nature of God and the nature of man. God is not like us, nor are we like him. When it comes to being able to define what is and what is not evil. Autonomy is not a characteristic of creatures but of deity. 
and the desire for autonomy to decide for ourselves what is right and what is wrong is the scheme the devil has propagated from the beginning to get creatures to rebel against their maker. What sin says is that there is a fulfillment apart from God that we can only achieve by realizing our own desires. and That God is keeping us from this. But just as Eve had an inexact knowledge of what God had spoken about the tree and it gave place for Satan's deception, we see today where Satan manipulates people, drawing doubt on God's word, on what he has determined as what is good and what is evil. Let us look a little close at Satan and Eve and let us compare the two. Satan said something was not a sin when it was, and Eve said something was not was a sin touching the tree when it was not. We see this carried out still all these thousands of years later, even in the church. We've had many whom we once counted in our ranks who will now confess the something the Bible says is outright sin and say it really isn't. Friends, we are not the judges of God's word, nor do we set ourselves in judgment over it. In fact, ignorance of the word and questioning the authority of the word is the same challenge presented to Eve and the sin that led to the sin, so to speak. We will further see the inexact knowledge and ignorance of Eve regarding what exactly a sin is on broad display. And this lie is propagated to this day, that God is keeping you from your true happiness by his prohibitions, that you can disregard him and be your own God. Decide for yourself What's good and evil? Friends, this is the raw material from which comes all manner of sin. A historic issue on grand display today is in gender identity and sexuality. People can be whatever they feel their true selves to be without regard how God has made them and defined it. They can experience sexual freedom by expressing their true desires with whomever they wish. Friend, this is a lie that always and only leads to misery. God has said to Adam and Eve, the whole world is yours, but I am the center of it. Sin says the whole world is yours and you are the center of it. You can do whatever you want. This leads to our next heading, the act. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. Such a short verse, but so impactful. Look with me here. All the elements that precipitated sin are here. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, 
the lust of the flesh. And that it was a delight to the eyes, lust of the eyes. That the tree was to be desired to make one wise, the pride of life. Now Eve had walked past this tree a billion times and the thought had never crossed her mind. Before she had looked at the tree in allegiance with the Lord. But here she looks at the tree and her allegiance is not with the Lord, but with the serpent. That is before she had viewed the tree in obedience. But here her obedience has suddenly changed. Here we see the natural Eve apart from the word operating according to her best reasoning ability. Satan did not make Eve eat of the fruit. Eve could have just easily refused. Or even greater, Adam, who was there with her, could have refused. We don't know what was going on in Adam's mind. He had received a direct, underived command straight from the mouth of God about eating of the fruit of the tree. We can only conclude that Adam saw what Eve was doing was wrong, though she was not fully cognizant of what she was doing. But Adam was, and he made a willful decision to join Eve in disobedience. Now, fellas, let me make a parenthetical statement right here. I am not saying... Never listen to your wives. <laughs> or that she's being spoon-fed wickedness straight from the devil when she wants to make suggestions. So don't take it that way. And he ate. And he ate. With these short, three short words, the floodgates of sin... Sickness, disease, and wickedness were hurled wide open. All the evil in the world today entered with these three short words. And when Adam fell, everything he had dominion over fell as well. Paul sums it best in Romans 5. Writing, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Notice with me, Eve ate first. Her eyes were not immediately opened to her sin. It was after Adam had eaten. He was the covenant head and the one to whom the command had been directly given, as well as the one who was responsible for teaching Eve. It would have been a different story had Adam knocked the fruit out of Eve's hands and then ran and interceded before the Lord on her behalf. That's not what happened. Augustine of Hippo writes of the fourfold state of man is thus. Able to sin and able not to sin. Then not able to not sin. Able not to sin and unable to sin. 
pre-fall man. Before this event that happened at the tree, Adam and Eve were able not to sin or they were able to sin. After the fall, man is unable to not sin. Those who've experienced the rebirth in Christ are able to not sin. And in the consummation, in the glory, when we see our Savior face to face, we will be unable to sin. He writes, man's original, original capacities included both the power not to sin and the power to sin. In Adam's original sin, man lost the power not to sin and retained the power to sin, which he continues to exercise. James writes, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings death. And this, my friend, is the unbreakable pattern of sin introduced by our first parents. And it affects all who are descended through them to this day. What she yielded to was that there was a fulfillment and happiness apart from the command of God. And this is the nature of sin. The idea that what God has said is not for our good and that in doing it, fulfilling our desires ourselves, we will find satisfaction. That God had said not to do it was not enough to keep her from doing it. In fact, that God said it usually is not enough to keep us from sinning. In and of ourselves, our own satisfaction is much greater than our desire to obey God. The desire to obey the Lord is something that has to be inculcated into us. There is a progression here. First, we decide that we can determine for ourselves apart from God what is best for us or what we want. And then based upon our own carnal senses, we act. This gives us a glimpse into the origin of sin, which is created beings themselves. Now, the scripture is not 100% clear on this matter. There is no one passage or proof text that sets forth a concise and conclusive treaty on the origin of sin. So I will answer it with a philosophical and theological manner. Creatures made from the dirt do not have the ability to not sin as the ability to not sin is a divine trait, not a created one. Sin itself pre-existed Adam and Eve, and we see this in the fall of Satan. But God did not cause sin. To say, since God created creatures, that sin means that God created sin is a gross misconception. All things were created good, but not perfect. In creation, the divine ability to not sin was not communicated to creatures. In this, we have the creature-creator distinction perfectly preserved. Further, the ability to sin 
is not the cause of sin, nor is it the same as being unable to sin. That is, God did not make creatures to sin. He made creatures able to not sin, but creatures in and of themselves, as proven by Adam and Eve, are unable to not sin. Did you get all that? The divine ability to not sin will be communicated to creatures, however, in the recreation or in the fullness of regeneration. We often speak of free will. Neither you nor I have free will, nor does anyone else after the fall. In fact, Adam and Eve were the only two creatures who had it. You and I do not have free will. We either act according to our carnal Adamic nature or our new natures in Christ. There is no third option. Looking back to Augustine, the only creatures who had the option available to them to sin or not was Adam and Eve. Today, there are those who attempt to preserve the idea of human autonomy by stating man has free will as if in and of himself he can still possess the ability to sin or not to sin. This leads us to our final heading, the effect of sin, verses 7 to 13. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The effect of sin can immediately be seen in their guilt and shame. Verse 7 states that their eyes were opened to their nakedness. And this corresponds to verse 10 where they hid from God. So let us walk through this passage. In verses 7 and 8, we see a terrible irony. The promise of Satan falls far short. And it is fulfilled in a different sense than which he presented it. Their eyes were indeed opened, but not in a godlike way. But rather in the development of a self-consciousness. They saw themselves as being indecent. Instead of gaining something, they lost something. So what does it mean that their eyes were open? In short, it was the loss of moral innocence. Prior to this, with the ability to sin or not to sin, there was an awareness of what it was. There was no awareness of what it was like to disobey God. Their consciences were clear, and as such, in a complete state of innocence, their spirits had dominion over their bodies. 
as opposed to the life in the spirit with their nakedness being inconsequential, they had crossed over into unfamiliar territory, spiritual death. That is, they were now wholly alive to their carnal natures. God had prior told them in Genesis 2.17 when he administered the prohibition that in the day that they would eat of it, they would surely die. He wasn't speaking of a physical death, but a spiritual. And that is what we read of here. Even before they were summoned by the Lord to give an account for themselves, there is an internal sense of shame that has befallen them. At this point, the gig is up. As opposed to becoming like God, they get their first taste of experiencing evil, quite unlike God. The text then says that they went about to cover themselves with fig leaves. This corresponds with verse 8 where they heard the voice of the Lord God, hid themselves among the trees. This clearly depicts the effect of sin upon the conscience. Shame, hiding, Notice with me the pattern of behavior here. First, the fig leaf. They were going to cover their nakedness. How they were created, they were going to cover that up. Effectively correct what they felt was a wrong. Second, they hid from God. And this is the fallen state of man who cannot, yea, will not abide in the presence of the Lord with a defiled conscience. We see this to this day. Sinful man in open rebellion to God attempts to correct what they feel God has overlooked. Whether that be their natural born gender, sexuality. Then they scatter from his presence wanting nothing to do with him. In verse 9 we see God calling out to Adam. The you in the where are you is singular. Here, where Adam and Eve were always there when God came, they were no longer there. The Lord calls out to them. This in of itself is a telling picture and worthy of a sermon. The Lord seeks out sinners. The lost man does not seek the Lord. He is not searching for God. He is hiding from God. It is the Lord who seeks the lost in their sin and in their rebellion. Adam and Eve were not lost from God's knowledge, but rather from his communion. Verse 10 marks a critical turn in the relationships and how it has corrupted them. How sin has corrupted man's relationship with God. Verses 8 to 11 as well as their relationship with one another, verses 12 to 13. Adam states that he heard God's voice and was afraid. Adam had heard God's voice countless times prior, but in disobedience, it fills him with fear. He further ascribes this fear upon God himself. Such a polluted conscience of the natural man. He seeks to impugn God for his own sin, making the Lord the cause of it, seeking to justify himself at God's expense. The pitch of shame. 
Verse 11, God calls Adam to give an account. By what means is he now conscious of his nakedness? He was not conscious of this in his innocence. There can only be one answer which the Lord states in the form of a question. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Pay close attention to how God gives, how Adam gives an answer for himself. You will notice in the same response. It's the same way sinners respond to this day. In verses 12 and 13, we see Adam blaming his wife. By extension, the Lord. She was the woman you gave me. As if he could transpose his guilt. If not upon Eve, then upon the Lord himself. It would seem as though Adam is seeking to justify himself. As opposed to diminishing his crime, rather he aggravates it. But the Lord doesn't even so much as respond with Adam. In verse 13, he turns to Eve. And a better rendering in the Hebrew would pose God's question to Eve. How have you done this? Or how could you do this? He wasn't asking, seeking an answer. He was making a statement. In fact, the Lord's question to Eve was actually his answer to her before she even responded. And Eve, following Adam's leave, then shifts the blame to the serpent, thinking to absolve herself, saying that the serpent deceived her by giving her false hope. So in conclusion, we read of the sin of the first man. Adam, but we also read of how that sin has been undone with the second man, the second Adam, the Lord Jesus. Adam was the son of God created in his image. Jesus is the capital S son of God, eternal, equal in essence, born of a virgin and assumed flesh. Satan tempted both Adam and Christ in similar manners. Adam was tested in the garden. Christ was tested in the wilderness. Satan tells Adam, if you eat, you won't die. In the wilderness, he tells Christ, if you leap, you will die. Satan offered Adam greater dominion. Satan offered Christ worldly dominion. Satan questions what, what God has said to Adam while he tries to affirm that God has not said to Christ. The repercussions of Adam's sin not only affect Eve, but all their posterity, introducing sin and death into the world. God could have struck them both dead where they stood, but instead he shows mercy, promising one who'd redeem their progeny from the sin initiated by those two. In Christ we see him fulfill the obedience that Adam was not able to. He not only restores men to relationship with the Father, but he even elevates us to the place we would have been had Adam not disobeyed. He is called the second Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, in that just like in Adam, men were plunged into sin. In him, all who look to him in faith and repentance are made righteous. 
Christ fills the earth with righteous believers, just like Adam was supposed to. He is the promised Redeemer. He exercises complete control over all creation. He has dominion over all. Unlike Adam, that dominion even extends over Satan himself. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that we don't have to be ignorant of Satan's devices, great king. Father, that this word shows us who we are apart from you, what you have done for us, and it ultimately helps us lift our gaze to Christ, Father, being the one through whom the undoing of the sin that has been introduced to the world has come. Father, I lift up my brothers to you. I commend them into your hands. Thank you for this wonderful time. In Christ's name, amen.